One of the things that probably should have mentioned earlier, just be in prayer for our Greece team. They are traveling back as we speak. They're scheduled to land in Philadelphia, I think, around 3 o'clock or so, and then uh, I get the privilege of picking them up uh, tonight sometime in Atlanta. I asked uh, Paul's family if they wanted to go pick him up, and his girl said no. So, uh, And he was on the phone while they did that, so that's not a secret. But just be praying for them as, as I, I know that their hearts are full. I got to speak with BJ and Gary uh, a little bit. Um, and, and I could just tell by talking to, to both of them, especially to BJ, um, that uh, his, their hearts were just full with the work that God is doing there and ways that we can be involved more with those ministries. So uh, as they come back and their hearts are full and they're tired and they come back to real life, just be in prayer for them. We are uh, in Romans 12, uh, and some of you are saying, finally, (laughs) Um, and we are, you know, if you know anything about the book of Romans, uh, there are two major sections in the book of Romans, and a lot of little sections, but two major sections in the book of Romans. Like we said last week, the first half, the first 12, 11 chapters of the book of Romans is is really... um, theology, uh, talking about salvation, um, and then the second half of the book of Romans is kind of a, how then should we live? And so this is a major transition, and we talked about that last week as we talked about the doxology. And, and one of the things that I want you to know, and one of the things that you've got to bear in mind as we continually march through Romans, is that if you don't get the first part of this book right, then you, you, you stand in danger of doing something with the second half of this book. And the danger, the danger that you will uh, slip into in the second half of this book is, is legalism. I, I could just go through and read uh, verses. Uh, I'll just, for example, and uh, if I just read uh, chapter 13, verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and, who's, and those who exist are established by God. Now, controversial, and we'll get to that. However, if I just read that and said, do it, if you don't have the first part of the book of Romans in your mind, there's a danger of slipping into a form of legalistic, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I can now please God, and I can please God by submitting myself to the authorities. And so... We've got, to, we've got to constantly be orienting, orienting ourselves to, to what Paul orients us to in the first part of this book. And so this morning, we're, we're gonna, the first part's always going to be in our mind, and Paul brings us back to the first part. But the key this morning that I want to look at is, uh, is how do you do the Christian life? How do we do or live out the, the Christian life? Or... What does it take in me to lead to this action that is God-honoring and God-pleasing that we will see through the second half of this book? And as we start our study this morning, as Paul starts this section in his letter, he starts with this word, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. And one of the things that I want you to know, kids, listen up. You're gonna. Uh, one of the reasons why you're why why you're in here is that I want you to learn uh, not only just about the Bible, but part of preaching is you learning how to study your Bible. 
And so one of the things that I, I think a lot of these adults know that I want you to know is that, and I'm going to see if any of you kids know this, so this would be fifth grade, so our fourth and fifth graders this morning. When we see the word therefore in the Bible, what should we ask ourselves? Anybody know? All right, that's okay. You're going to learn something. See, you're going to start off this morning learning something. A, a good way to remember this is when you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, okay, what is this therefore? See that? In other words, something has been said beforehand that is important, and Paul is saying, based on this, now think about or do this. Does that make sense? Therefore. Like, I am hungry, therefore I'm going to the grocery store. Or, you kids would like this more, I am hungry, therefore we're going out to eat. Right? <laughs> uh, so therefore, the signal something. And Paul doesn't leave us alone on this. Uh, and so I, I think that Paul is wanting us to summarize and to think of the whole first 11 chapters of this book. And what he's saying is that if you understand the first 11 chapters of this book, then the natural conclusion that you will come to, just like if you were hungry, you would get something to eat, the natural conclusion that you come to when you are studying this book, the book of Romans, is this, therefore, you will lay down your life as an act of worship to God. That is the natural conclusion that you should come to from studying this book. And, and, and you may even say, well, specifically, Lewis, what are you talking about? And Paul tells us here, it says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the, by the what of God? Mercies of God. And Paul could have used a lot of different words here, but what Paul does is Paul tells us, therefore, I urge you by the mercies of God. And I think if we think about it, and I think especially in Romans chapter 11, we'll read those verses again in a moment, but one of the things that Paul is doing is that Paul is highlighting in the book of Romans God's mercy. Think about it. In the first three chapters of this book, he talks about man's position. Man's position is, is sinful, as depraved, as separated from God. And then I just want to say three things, that big, huge things. But I want you to think about it in these terms because it's true. That God is so merciful. God is so merciful that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for hopeless, helpless humanity. God is so merciful that not only did He send His Son to die on the cross and raise Him from the dead, but God is so merciful that the other thing we look and learn in the book of Romans is that He has sent His Holy Spirit to come and indwell us. God is that merciful. And not only that, but the other thing that we see is that God is so merciful that He fulfills and He keeps and He guarantees the promises that He makes to us. This is a merciful God. Again, I know we read this last week, but again in chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were, want, were disobedient to God, but now, notice, have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience that He may show 
mercy to all. When we truly, when we truly understand how merciful God is, when we truly begin to even scratch the surface of the depth of the mercy of God, we give our lives to that. We fly to that. We are drawn to that. We are giving our lives, if you think about it, when we think about God and His mercy, that we are giving our lives to this big God who is sovereign, who is good, and who is merciful. Do you believe that this morning? So when we think about how we are supposed to do the Christian life, the Christian life is marked by men and women who are laying down their life at the feet of this merciful God because He is trustworthy. This is huge for us, and we've got to understand this. How not to understand how we do Christian life is that we just grit our teeth and bare knuckle it and pull up our bootstraps and hope for the best. That's not what the book of Romans is about, and that's not what the gospel is about. An example of this would be this. And you're going to say, Lewis, are you going there? And yes, I am. Um, But in Ephesians 5, what's one of the most controversial things about Ephesians 5? Wives, submit to your husbands, right? And so so if I preached a sermon this morning on wives submitting to your husbands, and all the only phrase that I pulled out of Ephesians 5 was that. I, I would be missing the full part of what Paul is telling us there, right? Notice in Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about submitting to, wives submitting to your husband, the other command there is, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the beautiful picture that we have in Romans 5 is a husband who is pouring out his life, who is pouring out his time, and his mind is saturated with, how can I best love my wife like Jesus loved the church? How can I be for her and for her good ultimately? And now, wives, in that context, is it hard to submit to that? No. Why is it not hard to submit to that? Because you're submitting to your own good. Likewise, when we lay ourselves down as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, when we look at the mercy of God and we look at who God is, what Paul is telling us here and what he is signaling and screaming loud and clear in the beginning of this passage is this. You are giving your lives to someone who is good and who is for you. So it should be a natural thing for us. Now let's look at some of the other words here. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. This word here, present, is, uh, it, it's an, it comes from the Old Testament and it has to do with sacrificial language where somebody would come and they would present their offering to the priest. And so what we have here is, is this same sense that we are to present. We are to give ourselves to God. Notice what we are to present. We are to present our bodies. Now, a bad reading of this would be 
okay, well, you just have to give your body to God, but your mind can be somewhere else. That's not what this text is meaning. The word here used when it says bodies is meaning your whole being. There have been some bad theology done over the years where they tried to parse this apart and it just doesn't fit in the languages. So we are to present as a fat sacrifice our whole bodies, all that we are, our mind, our soul, and our bodies. And notice another word that's here. We're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. And this is something that is drastically uh, different than what happens in the Old Testament. This is a self-giving of yourself. And, and you may die in service to God, so that's, don't hear me wrong, we're going to get to that in a moment. But what this is, is that this is saying, I am going to give my living body to God as a sacrifice so that I can live for Him. So there's a distinction. Holy, set apart in purity, acceptable. I think that means with utter sincerity and with integrity given over to God. And this we are told in this verse, which is your spiritual service of worship. Our worship, our worship is not coming in here and just singing some songs and listening to preaching. Our worship is not just dropping money in the back, in the boxes in the back. Our worship, our worship is a giving of ourselves, all that we are into the service of God, our great and mighty and merciful King. Some versions um, have this word, and it's, it's in the context here. It is in the, in the language, but it just doesn't translate over. But some versions that you may be reading from may say, which is your reasonable service. And the word there, what it's meaning is, this is the reasonable conclusion of what you should do. And it's based on the mercies of God. Now, I want to say this. One of the errors that we could make this morning as we're talking about based on the mercies of God is that we only talk about the past mercies of God. And that's only half the picture. Because the Bible tells us what about God's mercy? They're what? They're new every morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's mercy in your life is new every morning? If you do then you believe that your future with our God and King is secure because He is giving you mercy after mercy and they're new every morning so you can give yourself to this great and mighty and good God. So, one of the things of how or what do I do or how do I do the Christian life, one of the starting principles is that you give yourself Holy to Him. And a question that should arise as you think about that is, okay, Lewis, well, I give myself wholly to Him. Well, how will I know what to do? And look at the end of verse 2. So that you may know or prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so He is going to tell us that you do these things and you will know what the will of God is. And there's two things he tells us that we do so that we know what the will of God is. And they're really the first two imperatives of this book, or the first two commands 
of this book. And the first thing is, a, is what we call a negative command, and it's a do not. So the first thing that we see in verse 2 is this, and do not be conformed to this world. As Tracy was praying, um, and in particular as he was praying for our middle schoolers and high schoolers, um, they could come up and probably teach us a lesson about conformity to this world. Because it's just in their face constantly. But let's be careful. Because adults, this conformity to the world is in our face constantly. And one of the reasons that I think that our teens struggle with conformity of to the world is because they see us conforming to the world in ways and they don't know where that line is. Don't be conformed to this world. This is something that we have heard before. Listen in in Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 13. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members, notice that idea of presenting again, the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Another place that comes to mind in the Scripture when I think about conformity to the world is Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, listen to this, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And what Paul is telling us is, is there there is a power. And there is a prince of this power. And what he's telling us is, do not be conformed to this world. Now, in Jewish thought, there were two, uh, there's a word here used, it's uh, aeon. And uh, in Jewish thought, there were two time periods. There was the current one, which was evil and twisted and given over to uh, degradation. And that's true. (laughs) Um, and, and in that, what Paul is relaying here is don't be conformed to that. Don't be conformed to that. I, I think a problem, and it's an illogical problem, is sometimes we go too far, right? And the temptation's in a lot of us. There are many of you that I've talked about, especially those of you who have teenage daughters or daughters that are entering those preteen years. And you know what I hear a lot of you telling me? You know there's really cheap land out in Sequatchie County. We could probably get real far out there and start our own little commune and just separate. Keep boys away. Keep TVs away. <laughs> and there are Christian groups that have taken this mantra and taken this, taken this up and they completely separate themselves from the outside world. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not talking about separating ourselves in that way. He's talking about separating ourselves. Don't be conformed by the way you live. 
indulging the sinful desires, indulging the lust, indulging the things that the world indulges in. That's not who you are. So separate yourself internally from that. And so what you need to know, one of the things you need to know, and we just need to be real honest about this, is that while you are in this world, while you're in this world, until you get to heaven, you will always be, um, I'm trying to say this correctly, you'll always be, you'll always need this command, don't be conformed. While you're in this world, you will always need this command, don't conform. If you run across somebody in our church who says they don't feel a pull to conforming to this world and the desires of this world, they are a liar and they're conforming to lying. It's all among us. This is the part of the gathering that we're going to see later on in the book of Romans. Part of the reason we are to gather together is we are to use our gifts to encourage one another, to help us not conform to this world, but to be built up and encouraged so that we can go out in the world and be instruments of change. And that is for another day. What's interesting in the Bible, and what we see in Romans 12 too, is not only are we given the negative, but many times in the Bible we're given the do not be conformed, but, and we see it in this verse, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A literal translation of this, and this is important. Uh, uh, Greek and grammar is not always important, but this is important. A literal translation of this would say something like this. Keep on being transformed. Keep on being... Don't be conformed, but keep on being transformed. This denotes that we are going to always, on this side of heaven, be not only only fighting conformity, but we're also going to always constantly be in need of transformation. And we're constantly in need of being transformed over and over. And this word transformed means... The word in Greek is the same word we have for metamorphosis or a change from the inside out. And so literally, keep on being changed from the inside out. Now, um, our uh, trailblazers, the the more senior adults among us, are going on an outing, uh, are going on an outing in a couple weeks to an apple orchard. Uh, which always entices me because I love uh, those sorts of things. And if you were to tag along and begin to ask them questions like, hey, uh, Bill, you just seem to just have your life together. You don't have to worry about this keep on being transformed thing anymore, do you? He'd be the first one to stand up and tell you, no, 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 no. We still, it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle. And so while you're in this world, you've got to be about the business of keep on being transformed. Formed. So it's not a one-time mastery type deal. And, and Paul gives us the how that we are supposed to do this by the renewing of our mind. And so if you want to, this hurt my brain this week. How do you do this? I think John, uh, uh, when he preached a couple of Sundays ago, a couple of months ago, said, hey, yeah, I'm just going to, the pastors can figure this one out for you. And it's, it's tough to think through. 
how is it that your mind is changed? How is it, and I'm going to offend both sides, so just bear with me. How is it that a Democrat becomes a Republican? How is it that a right-winger becomes a left-winger? Do you think it ever happens by what we see on CNN and Fox? I've never seen one of those interviews go like this, where a right-winger is yelling at a left-winger, and there's a pause, and there's like, oh, you're right. My whole philosophy on politics just changed right now because of what you were screaming at me. What's interesting, isn't it though that many ways we treat ourselves like that and we think the renewing of our mind is sitting somewhere, maybe screaming at ourselves, mind change, mind change, mind change, mind change. And so I think this process of looking at what is it, and I don't have the formula to change one political party to the other, that's not, I know what some of you would say, but we're not going there this morning. Because I'm worried about more significant change. (laughs) But how is it that our mind is renewed? And I want to take you through a a couple of verses um, in the New Testament that I think point to how our minds are renewed. I'm going to start in Ephesians chapter 4. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4, Verses 17 through 23 and then 30 through 32. But verses 17 through 22, listen. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you, should, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk, notice, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that, that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, and given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught him in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in, ordinance, in accordance with the lust and deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, if you go on down, I don't. So, in verse twenty-four or twenty-three, some of you would say, "Oh, Lewis, Spirit's not capitalized there." So, if you're getting ready to talk about the Holy Spirit, you got to be careful. Well, look at verse thirty through thirty-two. All of a sudden, Paul brings this up in, in his letter to the Ephesus: "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption." And then he goes right back in: "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you." Let's go back. Let's go back into uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 6. Just read a couple of verses. Oh, I'm sorry, not chapter 6. Chapter 5, verses 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh... For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
And in Romans chapter 8, what gives me um, reason to go here and reason to think that this is a part of what it means to be transformed by the renewing of your, mi- of your mind. In Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to read a couple of verses, 5 through 13. We could really read this whole chapter. It says, But those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, their minds the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mind of the Spirit is life and peace, because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under no obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body. And so where is the point? How is it that our minds can be transformed and continually to be changed from the inside out? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you. The power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside you. Now, how does this work? It doesn't get any easier. (laughs) Do you just sit in a room and wait for the Holy Spirit to show up and change your mind? No, I don't think so. That's not what we're told to do. And I want to give two things, uh, and and the most essential, uh, they're both essential, but I'm going to give the backbone for both of them in the second thing that I say. But the first thing that I want you to hear is this. One is, for, in order for you not to be conformed to this world, when you feel that pull of conformity to the world, as a Christian, you better stop what you're doing. You better stop what you're doing and you better start praying. This is huge in my life. Whenever I feel this pull in my heart towards things that aren't godly and that aren't good and that aren't pleasing and acceptable to God, things according to the flesh, things according to this world, on my good days, I stop dead in my tracks and I pray, and I'm going to tell you what I pray. I pray a prayer of repentance. God, here are my thoughts Here are my desires. I know this is not what you have called me to, and I want to repent that I desire these things. God, change my heart. And I believe with everything that's in me that the Holy Spirit works in me. There's so many times that God has done this. Works in my heart and works in my life. And, And sometimes it's literally on my knees and I get up and my mind has been changed that no longer am i desiring to be conformed to this world but my heart is in desire for something new and something good and i'll give you just a real example in my life of where this happens most frequently and that's when i am mad at my spouse now you say okay well how does that translate well here's what happens most of the time when i am mad at my spouse it's because i am selfish 
and I want what I want when I want it. That, that, if that's my motivation for being upset with my spouse, that is according to the prince of this age. That is ungodly. As a husband, my desire for my wife should be that she is loved and cared for and accepted, and so many times my heart is turned against her, so I have to stop dead in my tracks and to pray and to confess before God. And so the second thing that that means is not being conformed, not going on that selfish way, but being transformed when I get up off my needs. Who's the first person I need to go and talk to? (laughs) And I tell you, she could tell you, she knows when I've been in prayer because I come back a different person than when I, how I was acting beforehand. So one is through prayer and through confession. The other one on, on how to be, or the Holy Spirit's role and how our mind is transformed is the Holy Spirit, and this is the backbone even of the prayer, is that the Holy Spirit always, notice this word, always works in conjunction with with God's Word. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Is to, to, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten God's Word. The Holy Spirit does nothing on its own, but only what God has set forth for it to do, and it works in conjunction with God's Word. How? Think about this. How will I know what to confess in my heart if I don't know God's Word? In other words, how did I know that it's bad to be selfish unless I read, Don't be selfish. Practically, how do I know that I'm supposed to live peacefully among all of you as much, pos- as much as it's possible unless I read in the book of Romans, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably among men? How do I know that when I feel that sense of unpeacefulness, that that's a sin unless I know God's Word? So the Holy Spirit is always working in conjunction with God's truth and God's Word. And what happens is the Holy Spirit, as we're reading His Word, takes God's Word and does this real mysterious thing and it changes us and it changes our opinions. In other words, there is a marked difference between when a non-Christian reads the Bible and a Christian reads the Bible. A non-Christian can read the Bible and get facts and a good way of life. Something different should happen in the heart and the life of a Christian when he or she reads God's Word. We're going to talk about it a little more in a minute. Something deeper and more important should happen. I want to give you just one example of this. And, and I love being around new Christians. And we, Casey and I, when we were in Indiana, um, were in a small group. And there was a couple who had just come to know the Lord. And uh, both of them had been married and divorced and had married one another. And so we were reading passages in the Bible on marriage. And she, the, the couple had been in Bible studies and really digging in and just loving God's Word. And we get to this passage, she had never heard it before, about um, divorce and remarriage in the Bible. And all of a sudden I look over and Amy's just bawling her eyes out. Now, this is not an exhaustive study on divorce and remarriage. However, how she was reading it at the time... She thought she was in sin. And what I loved about it was that her desire to do what God's Word wanted her to do. 
And as I was preparing this sermon, I thought, man, I wish we could all be like that. How much more serious would you take God's word if our desire was that deep for it? If our desire was so deep that when it talks about living at peace among all people, that our kids take it seriously, that my boys take seriously, this means that you need to get along with your brother. That they take that so serious that they begin to say, Dad, I need help. Can you take me back to the Word to figure out how to do this? I pray that we are a people that the Holy Spirit works at that level in us. Now, again, you may say, well, Lewis, we know when we, when I don't see in this verse, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I understand how you get to the Holy Spirit, but how in the world do you get to the Bible and God's Word in there? And, and I want to tell you, I just want to ask the question. As Paul is, is saying, don't be transformed by the renewing of your mind, guess what he starts in verse 3? He starts telling you what the will of God is. The thing in which you should be conforming yourself to or transforming yourself to. Look, in the end of this verse, to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and and acceptable and perfect. Through the grace of God given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly than themselves. So, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what Paul is saying is, don't be conformed. Be transformed, and here's the way you're transformed, the Holy Spirit, and here's God's Word to you. And he wrote Scripture. Lewis is not writing Scripture. (laughs) I'm pointing you to Scripture. (laughs) Okay? Now, get the flow. Notice the flow here. Notice the flow. And I get excited over this. But notice the flow. So don't be conformed, be transformed, so that, so that, let me get the right words, you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the word here, prove, is not just like prove, like a test, but there's a connotation here. It it really kind of denotes, and you see it from the rest of the text, it really denotes value a sense of value or a sense of love. And so when we put this all together so that you may prove what the will of God is, so when it's talking about the will of God, the commands of God, what God tells us in His Scripture is that we value that and that we love that and we see it as good, we see it as acceptable, and we see it as perfect. So in other words, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses here to you. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That that is good and that is perfect. And that we love and we value that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is the will of God for your life. Do you trust that this is good and acceptable and perfect? In verse 18, as far as possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all Men, notice in chapter 15, verse 2, each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. This is God's will for your life. Do you view this as good, as acceptable, and as perfect? Now, 
towards, notice the words here, towards an end. One of the things we have to know is that we have to get out of the way. That's what we talked about. Know that this is a merciful God and He knows what's best for you. And we are to devote ourselves to Him as, a, as an act of worship. We're to give our whole bodies. And we have to fight against our remaining flesh. And we have to be changed. We have to be changing by the Spirit and the Word so that God's will can, can come in. And here's what I want you to know. When you are following God's words, things may end poorly. And I want to give two examples. There was a sermon by a guy named Matt Chandler, and uh, I think the title of the sermon is Things May End Poorly, and it was a sermon on John the Baptist. Uh, The end of John the Baptist's life uh, was glorious because of his devotion to our Lord and King, but he got his head chopped off for doing what for standing on principle and doing what was right. All of the apostles were martyred. Think about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. I want you to hear this and let it sink in. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Notice it is not saying that these things won't happen. It's saying that these things won't separate you from the love of Christ. In verse 36, just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And notice this, and this is where we love God's mercy. But in all these things, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. That even in the midst of hard, difficult persecution, trials, tribulations, storms, that God is for us, He is working, and even if it means the end of your life, guess what? His mercy, His mercy in your death will usher you into heaven in eternity with Him. So, I'm not saying that when we follow the will of God that things just work out perfectly But what I am saying is that His call on your life is a joyous, wonderful call. That because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and because of Him sending the Holy Spirit, that His Spirit indwells us, and we have the mind of the Spirit, the mind of Christ that indwells us and propels us to be able to live the Christian life out of joy and worship Instead of out of begrudging, pulling up your bootstrap, uh, I don't even know what other nasty words to use, type of Christianity. That's not what our Lord calls us to. This is based upon the mercies of our God and King. So trust God. Renounce the ways of this Lord, of this world. Transform our mind by by, by, by leaning into the Spirit, trusting the Spirit as we read His Word. And this will create a love and a value in our lives that we can, give, uh, we can live a life of worship to God. And we're going to do this imperfectly. We're going to limp as we do this. But those who truly love God and those who truly spend time in God's Word will do this, will live this kind of life that's laid down to Him as an act of worship. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, God, I pray that even today, God, we need a daily transformation of our minds. And God, as I preach this sermon, I know that what happens in many of our minds is that people are saying in response internally, Lewis, you don't know how messed up I am. And God, I am thankful for your word, that what your word tells us is that it's not your following you is not a place where we have to get all cleaned up and perfect before we can lay our life down in your service, that you call us just as we are to give our life to you today, right now. And God, so I would pray that even right here today, if we have people here who have not laid down their life today as their spiritual act of worship, that they would do that. And that they would live the next moments, the next hours, the next day while they're awake with their life in service to you, no matter what is in their background. God, I pray that you would transform their mind and when they would feel that they can't follow and trust you because of whatever, that your, your words about how they are loved and useful and have a purpose right where they are will just come ringing in their ears. God, I pray as we march through the book of Romans and we hear all of these commands in the next four or five chapters, that God, that we will um, live out these commands with a joyful, worshipful heart because your will is good and perfect and right and just. So God, I pray that we would value that and that we would love that because we love you. God, we thank you for your son in whose name we pray, amen. If you would please stand.